0: Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to begin today with that wonderfully pithy and lucid passage from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. It's part of our second reading. Paul says, love does no evil to the neighbor. Hence, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no evil. Hence, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul, as we know, studied at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading rabbi of his time. He would have studied the Torah, the law. He knew an awful lot about it. In fact, his whole life was ordered to it. In light of his experience of Jesus risen from the dead, Paul didn't abandon the law, rather he resituated it. He recontextualized it. And here we can hear it at the end of the letter to the Romans. Christ's coming, he saw, did not negate the law, it fulfilled it. Why? Because Christ in his own person was the law. What I mean is, he was the meeting of faithful Yahweh and faithful Israel. What made the law fail? That Israel never responded adequately to Yahweh, but now finally in Christ, this happens. Now, what did this fulfillment look like? It looked like love. That's what Paul saw. Love was the point toward which the whole of Revelation tended Love is what Jesus embodied. That's why he's the fulfillment of the law. Okay, so what is love? As I've said a hundred times before, love is not a feeling. Love is not a sentiment or a veleity. Love is an act of the will. It is willing the good of the other as other and then doing something about it. There's your one-line definition of the fulfillment of the law. Willing the good of the other as other, and then doing something about it. You see what love accomplishes? It breaks us out of the narrow confines of our little psyches, our little lives and experiences, and allows us to mingle with reality. Think of a seed that goes into the earth and breaks open and thereby mingles with the earth in a life-producing, life-enhancing way. The little seed, self-contained, isn't very much. But when it breaks open and mixes with the soil, that's when it produces life. That's what God wants for us. Don't think of love as some terrible demand placed upon us. It's an invitation to deeper life. With this in mind, this fulfillment of the law, we have the perfect means of examining our consciences. There's a great practice, by the way, I recommend it to you at the end of the day, to examine your conscience, to see how you did in the course of that day. Here's the criterion. Have we loved? Now again, I don't mean that in some superficial or sentimental way. I don't mean... Have we had a lot of warm feelings about people in the course of the day? I mean, have we willed the good of others and then done something about it? You know, you can love someone that you don't particularly like. In fact, you can love someone that you really can't stand to be around, someone who rubs you the wrong way. You can love someone who excites no warm, sentimental feelings in you. See, love has nothing to do with that. So here's the question. Did you love? Or did you play games? Did you pretend to love in order to get people to do nice things for you? That isn't love. That's indirect egotism. Did you love? Or did you stay stuck in your little world? All of this now comes from Paul's very powerful, pithy statement of what fulfills the law. Now, in light of that, I want to turn to our first reading and our gospel reading. Because they both have to do with a touchy issue, a difficult issue, one that we all wrestle with. To give it its classical name, the issue of fraternal correction. When, how, to what extent do we correct those who are in a morally reprehensible or dangerous situation again we face it all of us all the time our favorite indoor pastime is critiquing others and we're not the least bit reticent about that we're pretty eager to criticize others there's a very good reason for it it makes us feel better about ourselves deep down Most of us are afraid. Deep down, most of us feel unworthy. We feel we're not getting enough attention. We're being overlooked or underappreciated. What's one of the best and quickest ways to fix this problem? To drag someone else down. The lower they go, the higher we appear and feel by comparison. You all know that. We all do it all the time. The lower someone else goes, the higher I appear and feel by comparison. And so we gossip, backstab, insinuate, spread rumors, scapegoat. And we listen with eagerness to other people doing the same thing. Let's face it, fellow sinners, we get a kick out of this more than almost anything else. I mean, there are entire industries based upon this dynamic. Watch much of television. What we don't do is confront people directly. And this, too, for rather obvious reasons. You know, someone's doing something that bugs us or that's morally wrong, dangerous. We'll talk about them, sure. Drag them down to others, sure. But... Direct confrontation, that's too emotionally threatening. We might get critiqued in return. We might lose a friend, etc., etc. Whatever value we get out of putting someone down emotionally is offset, or more than offset, by these negatives. That's why we don't do it. Okay. What if we looked at this issue as I've been describing it? in light of Paul's criterion of love. Willing the good of the other is the fulfillment of the law. What if we looked at this phenomenon of critiquing in light of love? We would see first this, that fraternal correction is necessary. Fraternal correction is necessary. If somebody is in a bad way, doing something dangerous, on a negative or self-destructive path, the move of love would be to correct them. Now you see why. It's willing the good of the other. To remain silent, never to say anything, to talk about the person behind his back in a non-constructive way is not a move of love. Think of a parent whose child is on a very self-destructive path. The parent who never speaks, never acts, never corrects. Deeply irresponsible parent. So, both the first reading and the gospel remind us we have to overcome our reticence about fraternal correction, even though it remains permanently a difficult thing. We hear from the prophet Ezekiel. Boy, it's strong language. If a brother of yours is on a destructive path and you don't warn them, well, they will go to their death, he says, because of their sins, but you will be held responsible. Or again, if a brother or sister is doing something morally reprehensible and you warn them, well, they will die because of their sins, Ezekiel said, but you will be saved because you warned them. Now, I know in our cultural framework, our individualist framework, we can retreat rather easily into our own privacy. Oh, that's none of my business. But it doesn't work that way in the body of the church. As I've often said, we're interdependent cells and molecules and organs in this one body. And so it is ultimately self-destructive if we don't correct others out of love. How precisely should we do this? Once more, apply Paul's principle of love. Willing the good of the other. Talking about someone behind his back is not an act of love. It's not willing his good. It's willing your own good. Whatever that is, this move of gossiping and backstabbing, whatever it is, whatever it accomplishes for you psychologically, it's not an act of love. And that's why the advice given by Jesus in this famous passage from Matthew's Gospel is so important. He says, when you have a quarrel with somebody, someone's on an errant path, someone is doing something dangerous or self-destructive, don't talk about it behind his back. Don't complain to someone else. Don't harbor silent resentment. Talk to him. There's the first move. It's very simple to say, but man, is it hard to do. I know it from my own experience. We all know it from our experience, but I also know it from years of of counseling people. Years of giving advice when people say, Father, you know, this person's really on a bad path or this person's doing something that really bothers me. What should I do? And that first instinct is, well, talk to him. Talk to her. Nobody wants to do that because we want to avoid the hard press of love. Now, Jesus said, suppose you do that and the person doesn't respond. What do you do next? Well, then start backstabbing. Then start gossiping. No, 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 no. Then bring it to one other person. See how restrained he is. How he's keeping this thing from turning into a scapegoating frenzy. Go to one other person. Bring that person in. Maybe he or she has sensed the same danger, the same problem. If that doesn't work, only then bring in the church. Now mind you, the church, not the gossiping community. Not Everybody. No, no, bring in that community of people who are committed to helping this person. This is very, very powerful and important advice to all of us because here's a moral question we all face all the time. What do I do when someone is on a self-destructive path or when someone is doing something that is deeply annoying or hurtful? What do I do? A, don't do nothing. In other words, don't retreat into, well, it's not my business, Uh, I'll just gossip about it. No, 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 no. You are morally obliged in love to do fraternal correction. But then, how do you do it? Do it in this loving manner, recommended by Christ. Let Paul's principle sink into your heart, and then, friends, apply it concretely to this particular situation God bless you.